Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. If this podcast helps you spiritually, will you consider helping us naturally? You can give online or become a monthly partner as we aim to help more ministries and release more content. You can give online today at thelife.cc. Enjoy today's message. I'm always so thankful for revival nights and what God can do in our midst. And I I know sometimes, you know, it can be easy in all of our hearts to try to, spiritually speaking, manufacture big moments in God. But I can remember in our, our prayer conference, and if I can get my table just on the floor, that'd be wonderful. Um, but in our prayer conference, I did the last night. And, you know, sometimes as a minister, you, you feel like it hits. And I, I don't know if you, you know what I mean by that. I'm sure y- y'all felt that way before, like with worship, um, that sometimes it just hits. And then other times you kind of feel like, you know, I did all that I could. I prayed, I studied, I got ready. And for whatever reason, it just didn't hit the way you you felt like it could. And after that night, I I really, you know, it, it, it bothered me because in the natural, I couldn't think of anything different I could have done. Uh, But I just stayed awake and just really sought the Lord. And I think my head was speaking so loud, I couldn't get clarity in my spirit. And you've got to learn that. Um, That there are many voices, none more louder than your own voice of condemnation. Many times. And sometimes you have to just wait enough time for that to still, where you can pick up the still small voice of the Lord. And so finally I was able to to fall asleep, and I was kind of hoping to sleep in, uh, but I woke up early. And when I did, my mind was a lot calmer, and I just took time to just pray in the Spirit and sing in the Spirit and get before God. And I had a vision, and I saw that service all over again, and I saw people just sitting And it was just the exact image of the night before. They were just sitting, uh, just like you are now. And there wasn't any big movement. You know, there wasn't like people at the altar repenting or people at the altar getting laid hands on and, you know, that kind of thing. It was just this moment. But I, I could just see a darkness. And in the middle of that darkness, light coming in people. And just lights coming on in them. And the Lord spoke to me in the vision and he said, never underestimate the power of even just sitting where the spirit of the Lord is. That just taking the time to come and be in a room like this, you actually don't fully comprehend the weight of what the Spirit of God is doing in your heart. And sometimes it's a service where it's it's seed and it's watered and God gives the increase. 
But sometimes it's a service where the seed is just being watered. And sometimes it's a service where the seed is just being planted. But you don't see necessarily the natural increase. And that's okay. Because it takes a buildup of these things to get to that moment where fruit is produced. But the root is actually more important than the fruit. And we want the fruit of revival. We, we want the healing. We want the miracles. We want whole cities coming to the Lord. And I, I hear so many people talk about these things that it excites me that there's a hunger for it. Genuinely, it excites me of like the thought of a whole city coming to the Lord or the thought of, you know, people coming into a zeal for his house. It excites me. But people so often focus on the fruit of revival, but yet will go decades without seeing it. Because so many people are focused on the fruit that there's no attention paid to the root of what is actually causing the revival. And that's genuinely what I feel like the Lord has me in in this season is even in my own life, the developing of a root, the development of a deeper light in me. And we've been teaching this series on prayer, and I, I had it in my heart uh, to talk about part of the Lord's Prayer that I think oftentimes is skipped over, but I kind of felt like it's what this night is about. And so I want to read this passage of Scripture to you. It's found in the book of Matthew, and they'll have it on the screens. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said this starting in verse number six. He said, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room and close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Notice the root produces the fruit. If there, is not, if there is not that devotion in secret, there is not that reward in public. And the reason why there's not a reward in public is because there's not a root in secret. Pray to your father in secret. Shut the door. Go to your father who's in secret. And the Father who sees your secret life will reward your public one. Your secret life. My secret life. The Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. He keeps going here and he says, And when you're praying, verse 7, Do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. Our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Go back to verse 12. And forgive us 
Jesus here is teaching how to pray. And in teaching how to pray, he says, one of the things that you need to pray is this. Forgive me. He said, you want to know how to pray? There should be moments in your life where you come to the Father in secret and you say, Father, forgive me. You've heard me say this a lot if you've attended the church. The unexamined life is the dangerous life. When sin goes unchecked in a life, it always creates chaos, first spiritually, then physically. When sin goes unchecked in a life, it always creates chaos, first spiritually, then physically. Its root produces its own fruit. And first, the root of sin develops before the fruit of sin is produced. First the root, then the fruit. First your head and Delilah's lap, then no power. And we need in our own lives to come to a place where we do examine our secret life. And not just be praying about our public one. We live in a world, and I think a lot of it is my own culture. I'm a, um, you know, millennial. And our culture has uh, really created this idea of knowing yourself. Um, And so, like never before, you know, we have all these tests to know yourself. Uh, Your strengths and your weaknesses, and it's like Socrates' first rule of life, know thyself. And so know who you are and know who you are in your weakened state and know who you are in your strong state. And we've got numbers now for it that identify like who we are, our strengths and our weaknesses and where I go when I'm stressed and where I go when I'm weak. And we've come to this place of like really knowing and accepting ourselves. And there are strengths to that. For sure. In fact, there's a whole book about it, Strength Finders. Know yourself enough to know your strengths. Um, But the Bible is is very clear on what you need to do with yourself. And I suppose maybe some of it is know yourself, but it is most definitely not just accept it. Um, In New Testament theology, when you're studying the the teachings of Jesus, the writings of the Apostle Paul, and everybody else who wrote from James to Peter, you see it is very explicit that you are to do two things with you. And the first thing it is, is to confront and judge yourself. And the second thing you are to do is deny yourself. Um, And the reason why we don't see in our own lives or ministries, in the apostles' ministries, there was so much power in their lives that in the book of Acts, when they saw him, they literally said, the gods have come down as men. 
so much power coming from the lives of these men and women that the, the power of God was so thick on them that God was in their shadow and they had to stop people from worshiping them because God was flowing through them so big. And it's the same Lord. It's just not the same vessels. And I I feel like there's a spirit that is pulling us in the direction of consecration. And I'm excited about it because if you force it, it turns into works. But if there's a pull towards it, it turns into a beautiful form of sacrifice that is not trying to earn God's favor, but just so wants him above everything else. And that out of that, that consecration is actually going to lead to a deeper measure of what God is able to do in our churches and through our lives. Because we're judging our secret lives. We're denying our secret lives. We're coming to a place where we're judging the world. And like the prodigal, we're not leaving the father's house to go into the world. We're leaving the world to go into the father's house. And so out of this, when you're, you're looking at the scriptural narrative, you see Jesus teach on this right next door in Matthew chapter seven. We can go look at it. What am I to do with myself? I'm to judge myself. I'm to examine myself. Matthew seven, verse number one, do not judge uh, so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. By your own standard of measure, it will be measured unto you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. I didn't say it, Jesus did. First, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to see the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, isn't it interesting, like in our culture now, it's like we've come to accept ourselves, but then it's like we're judging everyone else. It's like, accept you, and then like tell the sevens to settle down and the eights to be kind. Uh, like, like come and, and truly like accept who you are, but see the fault and like everybody else. And Jesus here is saying, no, 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 no. That same level of inspection that you're taking in the lives of others, turn that same level of inspection upon yourself. He didn't say, don't judge. He said, don't judge others. Instead, judge yourself. Look at your own life. Look at the modifications you need to bring. And this is not a look of shame. This is a a look of yielding of what part of my life still needs to be yielded unto God. Paul backed this up when he was teaching on communion. He wrote to the church at Corinth, and you can pull it up in in 1 Corinthians. He writes to the church at Corinth, and this church had the the flowing of God's spirit, but it was still a, a babe in Christ, and he identified, you have divisions among you, and you have strifes among you, And there is sexual immorality among you. And no one cares. 
it's coming to a place where no one is caring. No one is like speaking up and saying there's adjustments that need to be made in the church. No one is dealing with these things. And the problem with that is, is in the biblical construct in Revelations, literally to every one of those churches, God sent an angel to go tell them, you need to repent. And if you don't repent, the Lord will take out your candlestick, meaning that there is something spiritually behind your life that is actually keeping you going. And if this progress is continually made in this direction in private, you will not have the same results that you've been having in public. And so I'm telling you now in private to judge something in your secret life so you can keep the effect of the Spirit in your public one. And Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's like, these things cannot be that way. You you cannot have this type of function. Like we've got to get the division out and we can't have all this backbiting and all this strife. And they, they were even taking the communion meal and like throwing a rave with it. It's like, we're hungry. We don't have any food. You know who has free food? Like forever the church has been using free food to get people to come to church. It's like, do you know who has free food? The church. And so they came and took the, literal, they they, they took the communion elements and began to party with the communion elements and to take the, the communion wine and get drunk with it. And so Paul writes this to him and he, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. They'll put it up on the screens. But a man must do what? Accept himself. <laughs> a man must do what? What must I do? Examine myself. I must examine myself. And so in doing, he's to eat of the drink and uh, eat of the, the bread and drink of the cup. Next verse, if you have it. No? Maybe? We can go to Go over and look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 28. I want to be holy. I want to be set apart. First Corinthians 11, 28. But a man, a woman, a person must examine themselves. In doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks and eats and drinks judgment to himself. If he does not judge the body rightly for this reason among you, many are weak and sick and a number sleep, which means die prematurely. He's like, let me tell you why weakness and sickness and dying prematurely is here. We're not examining ourselves. And he's writing to the church at Corinth and and he's saying like, let the spirit of God remind you that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you are bought with a price. Your life is not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body. And, and have these moments in our own lives where we examine ourselves and say, like we were singing, I want to protect holy ground. Holy ground is hearing ground. Holy ground is where God reveals himself. Literal, the definition of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And out of that holiness does not affect God loving me more or less. God doesn't love you more when you're holy or less when you're unholy. It doesn't affect, you've never been less loved with God. 
When the prodigal was away from the father, he was never less loved. But when he was living in sin, he had less intimacy. When he was living in sin, the father couldn't talk to him like he wanted to talk to him. When he was walking away from the father's house to walk into the world, the father couldn't bless him like he wanted to bless him. Couldn't speak to him like he wanted to speak to him. It wasn't until the prodigal said, you know what, I not only want to be a son, and I not only want to be loved, I want to walk away from the world, and I want to walk back to the father's house. And when he came back to the father's house, he was not more loved He just experienced more intimacy. Righteousness is God's gift to you. Holiness is our gift to God. One of the the questions that like I I I have had the courage to ask very few people because I'm nervous about what they will tell me. Uh, But I ask my wife this from time to time, and I've asked some of my direct reports. What's it like being on the other side of me. What's it like being on the other side of me? Am I too serious? Uh, Do I have jokes? Uh, Do you feel loved by me? What's it like being on the other side of me? And what if we were to ask God that question? God, what's it like being on the other side of me? What do you think I'm interested in? What do you think my affections are on? What do you think I wake up for? What do you think I come to church for? What's it like being on the other side of me? How much time do you think I I give you? How much time do you think like I, I love sports versus... What's my affections on? God, what do you think my affections are on? What do you think my heart beats for? What, where do you think I, I place you in my life? What's it like being on the other side of me? And holiness asks that question because holiness says, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to examine you. And I'm going to come and I'm going to ask you, what's it like being on the other side of you? What in your life needs to be made a living sacrifice? What in your life needs to be made holy? What in your life needs to be surrendered? What in your life needs to be brought to Jesus? And the reason why this is so important is this is what we're called to do as Christians. And when we do it, it opens up the Christian life. Jesus said this in Matthew 16. Let's go over and look at it. Uh, We're in Corinthians. Let's go back to Matthew. Matthew 16, Jesus is about to correct Peter. This seems very painful. Like, you know, Peter's like, oh, why am I always so quick to talk? You know, Peter is definitely an eight on the Enneagram uh, since we're in that vibe tonight. But you can see it like he's always just there. He's forceful. He's cutting off ears, you know, all this kind of thing. And so Jesus is here. And he's telling them about what he must suffer for the will of God. He's talking about, here is what God is showing me, what I need to suffer for his will. And he's communicating this, and watch what happens in verse number 21. 
Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. So Peter took him aside. Now, like you realize when you understand um, this culture and you have a rabbi, which Jesus was, Peter was a teenager. Jesus, you know, was in his 30s here. He's probably like 33, right before he passed away. Uh, so Peter's like this teenager and he's the, the generation below Jesus, which is what qualified him to be a rabbi. And, and out of this, the, the student takes the teacher aside and like, this is a big no-no in this culture. And he's like, what are you talking about? No. And he tells him this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Saying, God forbid it, Lord. This should never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, uh. Get thee behind me, Satan. Watch this. You are a stumbling block to me. Why? For you are setting your mind not on God's interests, but on man's. You are setting your interest on what you want and not what God wants. Your heart is focused on what you want and not what God wants. And it is a stumbling block to you. Now, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever like done like a, a, a race, but the Bible literally calls our journey here on earth a race, run the race that is set before you. And if you have stumbling blocks along the way, it's very hard to run that race. And he's saying, Peter, there's something in your life that is tripping you up, that is a stumbling block, and you're trying to be a stumbling block in mine. And he says, I see the devil here. This is not just you. I see the devil here. And here's the stumbling block. You are only thinking about what you want and not what God wants. And as long as this stumbling block is here, it is, it is separating you from what God has for you. And so based off of this, he's about to teach a lesson and watch the lesson that he teaches. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, all right, so let's just stop right there. Who's anyone? Me. Anyone is me. Anyone is you. Anyone. It's me and you. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must accept himself. Oh, deny? He must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For if you wish to keep your life exactly the way it is, unaltered, you will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If any man comes after me, he must what? Deny himself. What is this based off of? Peter, you only want what you want. Peter, you're only pursuing what you want. You're only thinking about what you want. And if you want to live the life I have for you, you must do something. Well, what is it, Lord? You must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. We are not just celebrating a Jesus who got on a cross for us. That is not just something we celebrate. That is something we emulate. 
that I take up my cross daily. What does that mean? It means every day I'm looking at an area of my life that I can surrender to his will. Every day I surrender my interests for his interests. And the devil will do every, young people, listen to me. The devil will do everything he can in his power to make you think if you do that, you're going to miss something. And to make you think if you stop watching that, you stop listening to that, you stop attending that, you stop hanging out with them, that you're going to miss out on something. But it is the biggest lie ever told to man. When you make a decision to deny your life, it activates the life of God in you. And adults, that works for you too. If the world watches it, why are we? If the world is listening to it, why are we? And I know this sounds hard and I know this sounds like challenging, but Lord, let it be so. Let us disrupt ourselves so much that we see this world needs us to be light. It doesn't need us like them. We are a chosen generation, literally called out of the world. And he says, if you will do this, it's the same light. Well, I'll just, what would I watch if I didn't want? The devil convinces us that if you lose your life, it will be the most boring, miserable life you could ever live. And Jesus is like, no, if you give me your life, you will come alive in ways that you cannot imagine. The Apostle Paul mentioned this. Watch what he says in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 17. So this I say, and affirm together with who? So if you affirm something together, you're saying, okay, he said it, so now I affirm it with him. I affirm with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles do. Who's the Gentiles? People who do not know the Lord. He says, you should not be walking like the Gentiles do that walk in the futility of their mind. Somebody says, well, that's big language. What does he mean? It's exactly what Peter meant. I want what I want. And Jesus says, that's the problem. You're thinking about what you want with no, no surrender of your will to God's. And he says, this is how the world walks. The, the people who don't know Jesus, what do they do with their time? Whatever they want to do. What do they watch? Whatever I want to watch. What do I listen to? Well, what does my mind want me to listen to? Oh, that sounds good. I'll listen to that. And, and he says, like, don't do that. I'm affirming together with Jesus, like, no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. He keeps going here. In verse number 18, being darkened in their understanding. Watch this. Excluding them from the life of God. What did Jesus say? If you die, what happens to you? If you take up your cross and you die, what happens to you? Then you will live. And here what Paul is saying is, I affirm what Jesus said. If you never take up your cross and begin to surrender your life unto Jesus's, and you just keep living like you want to live. He says, it will exclude you from the life of God and you will walk and live like people who don't know God. And is this not exactly what so oftentimes that we see is that the children of the light don't look that much different than the children of the world? And, and Paul is saying like in Corinthians, this is why there's no power and many are weak and sickly and dying prematurely. It's just not this examining of our lives of what can I surrender unto Jesus? 
He says, it excludes you from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and the hardness of their heart keeps going. They have become callous. Have I become callous? Have I, you know, you drink hot coffee so much that it doesn't bother you anymore? And you get calloused? You work with your hands so much, they get calloused and it doesn't have the same feeling. Have I gotten callous? When I had zeal, Lord, let the zeal of our young people confront us. Have I gotten so callous that what used to bother me doesn't bother me anymore? I can talk about anybody however I want to talk about them. And it just doesn't bother my heart anymore. It's not tender-hearted any longer. It's become callous. Giving themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. This is not the message of Jesus. If indeed you have heard of him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, watch what he says here. That in your reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, been created in righteousness and holy and truth. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying that when you die, you come alive. When when you make this decision to surrender your will to God's, it feels like suffering. It's Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane saying, not my will, but your will be done. And God's saying, yes, and your will is the cross. And it's like, let me pray about this two more times. It feels like suffering. And when you begin to take your life away from these things, it feels like suffering. But what happened to Jesus after he went through a period of suffering? God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name. And when you come to this place where you are pulling yourself aside unto the Lord and you're making a decision that I want to be a vessel fit unto honor. I want to be a vessel fit for the master's use. I want to be a vessel God can use to do something in this life. I want to be a vessel God can flow through. That you purge yourself from these things in the world and you say, it ain't worth it. Friendship with the world is not worth intimacy with God. And God is not a police officer trying to police your life. He is a lovesick husband wanting his bride to come to him. And and out of this, God is calling us to intimacy. He's calling us to consecration. I was thinking about this. Um, my son um, is um, playing football, and he's consecrated a lot to it. And when you consecrate yourself to something, you give yourself over to it. And he, he's so there, and I'm so you know, pleased with his work ethic, because when you really get consecrated, it'll change the way you work. It'll change what you eat. It'll change what you watch when you really want it. It begins to change something in you. And when we get consecrated to Jesus, it's like, 
It changes what I watch. It just does. It just does. And it changes what I listen to. It just does. And it changes the way I talk. Why? Because I, I know I've been called. I've been called to intimacy. I've been called. And here's the thing that I think so many people miss is you are not consecrated to a doctrine. You are consecrated to a person. You're consecrated to the Lord Jesus. And to consecrate your life to him is to invite his presence into your life. I want to read this and I'll close. I'll ask the team to come back up on the stage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12. I'd love it if you could find it in scripture as well. If you want to, 1 Corinthians 6. Well, you know, I said 1 Corinthians. I meant 2 Corinthians. Let's go look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12. You are not restrained by us. <laughs> Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying when you start teaching on these things, it's like, oh my gosh, just another person telling me what I can't do and what I can't do. You know, it's just setting up all these rules and regulations. And he's saying, you are not restrained by us. It is not us putting borders and boundaries on your lives. Watch what he says you're restrained by. But you are restrained by your own affections. Your own affections are actually keeping you from the life of God. God has a life for you. God has a place where his spirit is intimate with you. God has a place where you become his hands and his feet. God has a place of visions and dreams. God has a place of being so thick he gets in your shadow. God has a place for you that is beyond anything that you could ever possibly imagine. You are not restrained by our rules. You are restrained by your own affections. It's your own affections that are pulling you away from these things. It's your own affections, Peter. Your will, you're only thinking about your will and it is your will that is setting up restraints for what God can do in your life. You're not restrained by us. You are restrained by your own affections. Now in like exchange, I speak to you as children open wide to us also. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Now watch this. Just as God said, I want to dwell in them. And I want to walk among them. I want to be their God. And I want them to be my people. And I want them to come out from the midst of the world and I want them to be separate, says the Lord. And I don't want you to touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons. And you will be my daughters to me. 
says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That word fear is not like, ah, I don't want him to get me. It's this, this, this reverence of like, you have the most amazing father in the world and you just don't want to hurt him. You just don't want to grieve him. And so you perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. And and you say, Father, just as you want to walk with me, I want to walk with you. Just as you want to talk with me, I want to talk to you. Just as you want to be with me, I want to be with you. And my consecration affects what I do with my body. My consecration affects what I do with my mind. It affects what I do with my time. And I'm not trying to earn your love and earn your approval, but I am going to be a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. To draw into all that you are and all that you have for me, because in dying and denying, I come alive. And so let's let's pray tonight. Father, we, we come before you and we say, Lord Jesus, we want your will and not our own, Lord Jesus. We want your plans and not our own, Lord Jesus. We want to be holy. I want to be holy, Jesus. I want to be holy, yours, Jesus. We want to be set apart for you. We want to be vessels you can use, Father. Vessels you can flow through. We don't just want the fruit of Christianity. We want the root in Christianity. We don't just want power in our public lives. We want devotion in our private lives. Father, we thank you that we have a cut like David that just runs deep in our hearts that will praise you in the valley and praise you on the mountaintop. That, Father, we have a devotion in our hearts that separates us from the things of the world. And like Paul said, we count them as dung for the excellency of knowing you, Jesus. That we suffer the loss of all things if necessary, but we count it as trash for the excellency of knowing you. And, Father, we thank you that you come and in your mercy you forgive us. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive us. Forgive our nation. Forgive our politicians. Forgive our pastors. Forgive our leaders. And Father, we just thank you that we will burn for you in a spirit of holiness. And we will yield to you as sons and daughters of the Lord God. I want to invite you to to just stand uh, to your feet tonight. And we're going to worship the Lord and I had it on my heart before service and I thought it was really neat to see during service. But I, I felt like tonight we should pray for our young people. 
and just lay hands on any, anybody under the age of 25 who wanted hands laid on them. And what scripture came up in my heart was 1 Peter chapter 2 of you are a chosen generation. And there are generations that God just flows with. And I think everything that this generation has gone through with COVID and all those things that really that took people in secret. What the enemy tried to do in secret, God is doing something entirely different in the lives of these young people where they will be a generation that seeks his face and brings revival to our lands and will wake up the millennial generation and everyone else to the power of the living God. Recenter our lives off of sports, recenter our lives off of all of these other things and bring it to the Lord God himself. Recenter our lives off of all these things and bring it to the altar and bring it to church and bring it towards worship and so I, I just want to invite um, you for prayer if you're you're in uh, under the age of 25 and so let me get um, my pastoral team Pastor Luke um, Pastor Chase uh, Pastor Hillary Pastor Robert if y'all can come Cray our youth leaders Megan I know Will is up here but any of our youth leaders to come Joab and Amanda come uh, Joab and Amanda are here. They are uh, some of our missionaries. They're in Turkey. Uh, they were in China. Now they're in Turkey, but they, they've been here for us this week, and we're so honored to have them. And so this is it's not like a, a charity type thing. This is like if you really feel a call in that age bracket of like, I... I want to live set apart. I want to live holy unto God. Like like Paul told Timothy as a young man, he said, you need prophecies, Timothy, that you can war good warfare with. You need things that God has spoken to your heart and things that God has spoken to your life. And so during worship, if you are under the age of 25, and we may minister towards other things, but please don't come down if you're not under the age of 25 just where we can take time with people who are. And it should go pretty quick with the amount of people we have down here to pray. But as we worship the Lord, just feel free to come. And for everyone else, come to a moment where you do examine your own self and ask the Lord to show you any adjustments you need to make in your own life. And anything in you that needs to be surrendered to that flame of fire within him. Amen.